At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Vegas for Ghost Ghosts with myself, Greg Oops Peters. And now, part of the Beast and Family of Podcasts, we've got a great podcast for you as in segment number two, we're going to be taking a look at the SEC today with our good friend Blake Lovell. Blake does amazing work over at Southeastern 14. We are also going to be chatting with them about some of the bigger question marks that we're going to be seeing on Saturday as you know, Houston a little bit banged up, Alabama was playing without Brandon Miller for much of their game, so we've got a lot on tap there in Kansas, currently dealing with Bill Self and his health issues as well, so there's a lot to discuss there. Unfortunately, I did the interview with him, not thinking that immediately afterwards we would get a 16 seed that would win, or else I might have done it a little bit later, but that said, we're still going to have a great chat, get you guys all set for Saturday, all have reaction to what we saw from Fairly Dickinson, who apparently was unfairly priced, as apparently they should have been the favorite here in segment number one, and then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Saturday as we had some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Naming does not matter, as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Typically, this is where I go pretty much in time order with regards to a recap and take a look at some of the earlier games first and then some of the later games, but... We absolutely have to react to what just happened with a 16 seed in Fairleigh Dickinson who didn't even win their conference tournament, taking down Purdue. So let's dive into it, take a look at everything that we saw, and try to find some trends for the NCAA tournament. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Good gosh almighty. The epitome of brutality is currently Purdue. The one seed. Loses to a fairly Dickinson team that was third in the worst conference in all of college basketball. Did not win their conference tournament. That would be the Merry Men of Merrimack. And the only reason why Merrimack didn't make the NCAA tournament is because the NCAA has an archaic rule that you need to be at the D1 level for 500 million years before you're eligible for the NCAA tournament. And fairly Dickinson gets the job done 63-58. to 58. You always hear every single March, you don't want to be trusting upon young guards in the backcourt, and that was the device of Purdue. Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer combined for 20 points and 10 turnovers. Now, you did have Lawyer go 3 of 8 from 3-point range, but 10 turnovers between those two, 
Fairleigh Dickinson as a collective had nine. I mean, Purdue had 21 points and 15 rebounds from Zach Eady. I would argue that he didn't play quite to that stat line, but he still put up numbers. Purdue won the rebound battle by 10, but it was Sean Moore at the end of the game that was able to give you more. A very clutch three in the closing minutes, 19 points. Fairleigh Dickinson, the second ever 16 seed to knock off a one, and the first 16 seed to win multiple games of the NCAA tournament. A congratulations to them and for Purdue. I mean, they're just hurting the Big Ten's cause even worse. And Matt Painter has now lost to North Texas, a 13 seed, St. Peter's, a 15 seed, and Fairleigh Dickinson, a 16 seed, in his last three runs of the NCAA tournament. Just not good, to say the least. I do have to do this podcast while some of the later games are going on. I had to do so yesterday because of Greg Peterson experience. That is now from midnight to 3 Eastern time, and it is going to be going all weekend long. So I've got you guys covered there. So a little bit of cleanup from Thursday. Houston did have... Jamal Shedd along with Marcus Sasser get a little bit banged up. Seems as though both are going to be good to go today, but they won but did not cover against Northern Kentucky 63-52. to Shedd played throughout much of the game. Sasser was limited to 14 minutes. They have between them 18 points, so we shall see their status in Northern Kentucky. They don't go 5 of 33 from three-point range. Maybe we're talking about multiple 16 seeds being able to win in this NCAA tournament. Tennessee, they made like your buddy at the bar. If you bet on them, they did not close out the cover. They were up 48 to 30 with about 12 minutes remaining in the second half. And then they scored 10 points in the final 12 minutes. Louisiana, they lose, but they give a very, very Herculean effort at the end. 58 to 55 in the final for Tennessee. They went just 4 of 16 from three-point range. And for Tennessee... They did a solid job forcing Louisiana into 14 turnovers. The problem was they themselves had 18 turnovers. That's where knows the Kai Ziegler might be coming into a little bit of play. The butt kicking of the day on Thursday was UCLA completely dump trucking. UNC Asheville 86 of 53 was the final in this one as UCLA. They had double figures from all but one of their starters in Tiger Campbell and Campbell. He had a double figure amount of assists with 10 of them for UNC Asheville. They had 16 turnovers. UCLA had 8 of them. UCLA, even without Adam Bona, they won their rebound battle 40-25, just completed another domination there, and Penn State just completely took apart Texas A&M, 76-59, the final, as Penn State went 13-22 of from three-point range, I don't know if they're going to be able to quite continue that, as Andrew Funk, he brought the Funk, 27 points, 8 of 10 from three-point range, so... That brushes up everything that we missed on Thursday. Now on the Friday card, early on, Michigan State, they were able to take it to USC, 72-62 to the final. The big concern for Michigan State for me in this one was, how are they going to be able to shoot from two-point range? And they went 21 of 40. So they shot over 50% from within the arc. So they did a solid job there. Joey Hauser, 17 points, 8 rebounds. And for USC, they do go 7-20 to from three-point range, but they lose the turnover battle, 11-7. to for USC, this was a 9.15 a.m. tip time, and I do think that they were actually prepared for it because, I mean, they actually played quite decently in the first half and just really faded in the second half. So, Michigan State, they get the job done in the early session. My DK Nation write-up of Kennesaw State, that got there with ease, and Kennesaw State very nearly advanced in this one as they were up 13 points with just under 10 minutes remaining. 
Could not close out, though. Xavier, just 2 of 12 from 3-point range, but Jack Nungy was able to control things down low. 10 points, 11 rebounds, and then Jerome Hunter, who has been filling in for Zach Fremantle. He comes up with 24 big points. Lots of concerns with Xavier as they got one bench point in this one, but Hinnesaw State, very spirited effort, actually won the rebound battle 38-34, but they themselves did go 5 of 19 from 3-point range, could not hit their shots late, so Xavier just barely able to survive in advance. Baylor looked relatively strong in their first round matchup. They take down UC Santa Barbara by kind of 74 to 56. For Baylor, they go 8 of 22 from three-point range. Adam Flagler was able to chip in their 18 points. And for Santa Barbara, 4 of 16 from three-point range. Baylor wins the turnover battle by a count of 14 to 9. They win the rebound battle 29 to 23. This was a very slow and grimy game. And you'll notice this with Baylor. They have really throttled down their tempo. It's a Baylor bunch that in terms of total possessions per game, that has fallen by about 5 or 6 since the midpoint of the season. So... Do be keeping that in mind when you're handicapping Baylor moving forward in the round of 32. And if they make it any further, Marquette is a two seed. They were able to avoid the fate of some of the other top seeds. They take down Vermont. They win. They cover 78 to 61 as Marquette goes 10 to 20 from three-point range. You didn't have anyone really go off and go into flamethrower mode, though Cam Jones, 19 points. He goes 3 of 4 from three-point range. But for Vermont, they went 8 of 25 from three-point range. They weren't able to force Marquette really into any turnovers. Marquette, just five turnovers in this one. Marquette doesn't necessarily do an amazing job on the glass, but also Ogadero had really good versatility. 14 points, five boards, five assists, a block in this one. So you do like to see that. Meanwhile, what you like to see out of St. Mary's is just that vice grip style defense. 63 to 51, the final. This was the early day slog, though you're going to find out there was one team that scored even fewer points than these two. As for St. Mary's, they were able to get a nice performance in this one out of Mitchell Saxon. 17 points, 4 assists, 7 rebounds. Logan Johnson goes off for a double-double. And for VCU, their lifeblood is being able to create turnovers, but they lost their turnover battle in this one, 14 to 12. St. Mary's, they win the rebound battle, 37 to 29. St. Mary's did the little things to be able to get the job done, and this was with Ada Mahaney scoring as many points as Greg Peterson. He had four fouls and zero points, and St. Mary's still got the job done by 12. So that's a little bit of a scary proposition. This was some scary bad offense as Pittsburgh just completely took it to Iowa State, 59 to 41 the final. Certainly Pittsburgh, it feels like, is starting to get a little bit better with their defense, but Iowa State went two of 21 from three-point range. Let's call it what it is. This was just a complete and utter disaster effort from them. For Pittsburgh, you had Jamarius Burton do a nice job, get to the free throw line, as Pittsburgh as a whole went 25 of 29 at the free throw line. Burton, 11 points on nine free throws made. So he's able to do a solid job there for Pittsburgh. They did have 15 turnovers compared to Iowa State's eight in this one, but they were able to win the battle on the glass as well. And Iowa State, well, they were as cold as an igloo, and sometimes you're just going to get that. Creighton, they were able to get the job done. They win and cover against NC State by kind of 72 to 63. By the way, with what we saw out of the first four teams, both Fairleigh Dickinson and also Pittsburgh, it means that we've had just one year since the first four has been established that none of those first four teams were able to advance to the round of 32. We've had at least one advance in all but one of these years. So I find that to be of significance. And for NC State, of significance, they were relying upon Tracravian Smith for everything. 
He had 32 points on 27 shots. He was their lone form of offense as Green wins by a count of 72 to 63 while going just 3 of 20 from three-point range. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 31 points, 3 blocks, 7 rebounds in this one. He just completely dominated down low as Francis State. They actually won the rebound battle by a count of 35 to 34. They won the turnover battle, but they also went 3 of 14 from three-point range. And on their two-point attempts, they were unable to knock those down as well as they took a combined 50. They went 21 of 50 on those. And while Creighton was not getting the threes of fall inside, 23 of 36 from inside the arc. That was able to get Creighton to the window. UConn uses a big second half to win and cover against Iona. 87 to 63 as Iona was doing a really good job in the first half. As a matter of fact, they had a lead at the end of the first half. And then Iona did not score in the final 4-0-2. UConn just took it to them. But Thomas Inogo makes things a go-go. 13 of 17 from the floor, 28 points, 13 rebounds. The athleticism just really got to Iona in the second half as Iona loses the rebound battle by kind of 45 to 29. Iona only turns the ball for six times in this game, so they did a good job of being able to take care of it, but they also just couldn't get the ball really inside. They went 7 of 16 from three-point range, and then on their two-point shots, they went 15 of 41. So UConn did a very good job inside as you also were able to get off the bench Donovan Klingon to give you 12 points, 9 rebounds. This UConn team just completely mauls you inside, and that's what Kentucky does as Oscar Shibway had himself a day. Kentucky, they win. They cover 61 to 53. Have we seen the last of Ed Cooley as Providence's head coach? That's the question moving forward as he's been tied to quite a few jobs, but how about for this stat line for Oscar Sheepway? Eight points and 25 rebounds. <laughs> he had 25 rebounds in an NCAA tournament game. I mean, that's just absolutely hilarious. For perspective, Providence had a team had 31 rebounds. So, yeah, he was able to dominate this game. Ed Crosswell, he was able to give you 16 points. Bryce Hopkins, the former Kentucky recruit, he had seven points, eight rebounds. So, he was not able to stick it to his old team as Providence. They go just five of 23 from three-point range. And for Oscar Sheboy, I mean, man, what a night he was able to have. And how about this? As we are doing this, just as this game is wrapping up, Gonzaga, they get the win, and it does appear as though they are not going to get the cover as Grand Canyon loses this game as I record 82-70 to with about 20 seconds remaining. Grand Canyon, they were a solid three-point shooting team coming into this one. They go 9-24 of from distance to be able to help out the cause there, and they win the turnover battle by kind of 12-7. to Gonzaga was a little bit cold in the first half. They were really able to heat it up in the second half as Gonzaga was up by just four at the end of the first half, and Grand Canyon was actually leading throughout much of the first half in this one for Gonzaga. You were able to get a double-double out of Julian Strother, 28 points, 10 rebounds for Gonzaga. They were able to win that rebound battle by a count of 39 to 26. And Drew Timmy, 21 points, 6 boards. Feels like he's been in about 37 NCAA tournaments. He was able to get Gonzaga to another W. And I'm doing this as Miami and Drake is in very much a nip and tuck game. So we shall see what happens there. But on Thursday, we saw in terms of the NCAA tournament actions, favorites and underdogs against the spread. Go a dead lickety split, 8-8 eight and eight against the spread. As of right now, the favorites, they've been able to cover from what I am seeing. They're at a 6-5 and five clip for the day, so they've been able to do a relatively okay job. But that's that we shall see what happens in the later session. But we've been noticing that unders are starting to come through. As for the NCAA tournament, unders are hitting at north of a 60% overall if you include the first four. And if you take a look, since really the conference championship action was able to conclude as well. So last seven days in college basketball, 
56 unders to 33 overs. A 62.9% clip to the under for those like me that have suffered through so many overs hitting in college basketball this year because thus far this season, the over is hitting at 51.8% in college basketball. This has been a nice reprieve. And what else is a nice reprieve is the fact that on top of the great NCAA tournament action that we are going to be getting on Saturday, we're going to have some NIT action and some CBI action as well. I will be giving you guys picks and analysis on all of those games as well in the final segment. Have no fear there, but coming up next, we've got to talk about these SEC teams that are going to be taking the floor on Saturday, and who better to talk to than Blake Lovell of Southeastern 14. We're going to be taking a look at how the SEC has been doing overall, some of these marquee matchups, how does Arkansas match up with Kansas, what can we expect moving forward out of Alabama, and so much more. So, that chat is up next right here on Coast Coast Soups with myself, Craig H. Peterson, now a part of the DC Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie, too, for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. 
With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot or download the app today. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. It is great to be joined by our guest as Blake Lovell. Does absolutely amazing work taking a look at the game of college basketball at SEC 14. I know that he has been locked in with everything that we've been seeing this March Madness thus far. And when it comes to the offseason as well, he does an amazing job at Blue Ribbon Yearbook. And I'm sure his work is getting started right about now with all these coaches getting hired and fired, seeing a billion players entering into the transfer portal, what have you, as the college basketball cycle just never, ever ends And Blake. Is one of the best at covering it. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at the Blake Lovell. I say it's spelled L-O-V-E-L-L altogether. And Blake, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me. And Blake, we are going to be seeing quite a bit of flair in the NCAA tournament on Saturday from the SEC. And we're doing this before the Kentucky versus Providence game. So we are unsure of how that one went. But I think all in all, thus far for the SEC and everything that we have seen, Pretty successful first few days for the conference, even with everything that we saw with Mississippi State against Pittsburgh. I think so. And, and we kind of said, you know, this was a year where you had, you know, dominant team at the top in Alabama. But, you know, now you you had a bunch of teams kind of seated in that seven to whatever nine-ish type range. And it was just a matter of seeing how many of those teams could get out of the first round. And luckily for the SEC, like I said, go five and one on Thursday and not yet to, to figure out what's going to happen with Kentucky just yet. But, yeah, I think that's a pretty strong start for the league just in terms of having a lot of teams that, as we talked about all season, been up and down. I mean, there, there's been inconsistency with every team beyond Alabama. You know, I think just to see that many teams advance, and you know, some of them had tough matchups, I thought, and they just took advantage of it and ultimately, yeah, advanced on. So I think yeah, the first round so far, even if Kentucky loses, I think would have to be considered a success for the SEC. I totally agree with you. And what really stands out to me is Missouri having such an easy run to the Sweet 16 now going up against a Princeton team that – you give Princeton all the credit in the world for knocking off Arizona, but in taking a look at that game, there are certain games where you feel like, yep, that team just absolutely won it. And then there are some games where you're like, man, I think that team actually lost it more than the other team wanted. And I'm not sure what you thought of that Arizona versus Princeton game, but I took Arizona to win the title on my bracket. And I feel like a complete moron because I'm watching that game. I don't even honestly feel like Princeton won that game. Once again, give them credit where credit is due, but I feel like that was more or less just Arizona playing a really bad 40 minutes of basketball. I tell you, I agree. The one thing Oof. that caught me off guard the most was I thought that Princeton just out physical Arizona. And when you have a team like that, that, you know, you're having multiple seven foot guys and how does that happen? Right. And I thought Princeton was just the more physical team. 
And, you know, even in looking at it from Missouri's standpoint in the second round, I'm thinking, even if they play Arizona, I don't know that Missouri can't win that game because they play in a physical league or a physical team. And, you know, Arizona, you fully expected them to kind of impose their will and, and again, use physicality to beat Princeton. That just never happened. And so, yeah, give Princeton credit. They made the plays when it mattered. And now, you know, we have the All-Tigers showdown in the second round, one I don't think anyone expected. I think everyone was sort of banking on the possibility of Arizona-Utah State. And here we are with Missouri-Princeton. And, yeah, it's an intriguing matchup because, you know, both teams – kind of had that element of, of the Princeton offense uh, within their own offenses. Obviously, we know Princeton is kind of ingrained in it at this point, but Missouri can do a little bit of that too. And I think this game really just comes down to, to the discipline for Missouri on defense. You know, Greg, I mean, that Princeton offense is not easy to defend. And if they're able to kind of run their offense, you know, they're going to make it hard on Missouri a little bit. But, man, I just love the way Moy Hodge and Kobe Brown are playing right now for Missouri. And, yeah, it does seem like, you know, a very unexpected setup. No doubt about it. You're number one for Dennis Gates. We (laughs) both blush at the way that he was able to turn around Cleveland State, and he's doing it at Missouri, getting a little bit of help from Princeton to perhaps bolster that resume a little bit. But my goodness gracious, this guy just continuing to be able to get the job done as we're talking to a man that gets a job done. Blake Lovell, he does great work at Southeastern 14. He's joining me on the podcast, and we're doing this as we don't know who's going to be coming out of the late session of the round of 64 games, but We've got a lot of the round of 32 set up right now. We were just talking about Missouri. Would you say that they might be the biggest boomer bust team remaining in the NCAA tournament? Because I do take a look at Missouri, and I think we both agree. This team has their woes down low. The defense, it could use a little bit of work. But when these guys are hitting shots, and if these guys are creating the turnovers like they are capable of, I do think that Missouri has the possibility of perhaps knocking off darn near any team in the NCAA tournament remaining. And I also would not be surprised if they can't hit any shots, if they can't turn over Princeton, that they lose the 15 seed on Saturday as well. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You said it, Greg. They go Missouri all year long. We talked about it. We said, look, the reason why they're they're having success, especially in the SEC, was because it was a league built on defense. Well, they're built on offense, and sometimes they can just outscore you. Again, I love teams that can shoot the ball efficiently in every area, and if you look at Missouri, they do that. I love teams, you know, in March that don't beat themselves. They don't turn the ball over a lot. Missouri doesn't turn the ball over a lot. And also, Greg, you know, that's a very experienced team just from an age standpoint, right? Like, this isn't a team that has a ton of experience necessarily in the NCAA tournament, but age-wise, like, they're an older group, and they've, you know, got 30-something games under their belt now kind of playing together. And so I like all those things about them. And you mentioned the turnovers, forcing turnovers. That leads to easy points. You need some of those in tournament time. And they got some of those against Utah State. But on the flip side, sure, in the wrong matchup where they're not hitting shots, it's not always a given when you play away from home. If they're not hitting shots defensively, those gaps still exist. And, you know, the rebounding gap still exists. And so it really is just all about matchups. And, yeah, I mean, that's why I think you just look at this one. And as long as they can defend against Princeton, I think they'll be okay. And, even though, you know, let's say they advance and you go further with that, no matter who they play, if they're making shots, they're, they're a dangerous team. And sometimes I think basketball can be that simple. It just comes down to the team that can make more shots. And, you know, this season, Missouri has been able to make a lot of shots, and, and that's put them in this position. I always look at a few things when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Do you get more clean possessions than your opponent, a.k.a. do you not turn the ball over slash do you force a lot of turnovers? Do you make your free throws? And do you hate your shots? I mean, it sounds so simple, but sometimes that's just the 
criteria that you need to take a look at to be able to find winners and losers in the NCAA tournament. And this team was a winner on Thursday. Now they are going to have their hands full. It is the Kansas versus Arkansas matchup. No doubt we'll hit upon Alabama here in a few minutes, Blake. But I want to get your thoughts on this game. Right now, the point spread out here in Las Vegas is Kansas being a three and a half point favorite. And there's a lot of justified question marks when it comes to Kansas about the health of Bill Self. But I've been taking a look at this Kansas team. And without Bill Self, I feel like they've been just fine. And I recognize that Arkansas could be able to present some matchup issues for Kansas. But this just doesn't feel like those same Arkansas teams that were able to make a run in the last few NCAA tournaments. And I feel like this team hasn't necessarily meshed together the way that they have in past years, and I feel like they might come up a little bit short in this matchup. Yeah, this is one of those where I think if you're banking on an Arkansas upset, you're doing it just with the, Greg, like just, just the must magic. Like, you're having to bank on Eric Musselman just finding that magic again, which we know happened last season with Gonzaga. Can he find that again? I think you said something that, that I've kind of pointed out all year with this Arkansas team. It's the chemistry. And sometimes it just looks like the chemistry's not there. Now, of course, they've inserted... Nick Smith into the lineup, you know, down the stretch. I can't say it's, it's always been pretty. That's not blaming the player. That's just saying, hey, there's a team that, you know, now you're adding in someone who is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. How does that sort of change how you approach things? It's one of those things now with this team that you look at. The talent is as obvious as ever. This is a very, very talented Arkansas team. And if they put it all together, can they beat Kansas? Sure, they could. But it's just, you know, you're having to lean on that consistency. They did a lot of things well. In that game against Illinois, you know, you could see the glimpse of what this team can be. They've got a lockdown defender in Devo Davis. You know, they've got playmaking guards in, in Anthony Black, Nick Smith, Ricky Council. You know, Jordan Walsh can step up and make some plays. Makai Mitchell, you know, size, rebounding. They've got all the elements. It's just it hasn't been there consistently this season. If you're trying to, to find a way to pick Arkansas in this one, you know, you look on the other side and Kansas – while not necessarily the model of consistency, I mean, because almost like Greg, when Kansas loses, they they really lose, don't they? But they don't have any of those kind of bad losses. And I think when you look at the teams they've lost to, you know this, like all their losses are to NCAA tournament teams, to teams that are, you know, what, seeded, I want to say, well, I mean, minus Iowa State, I guess, um, who didn't exactly have the greatest performance on Friday, Greg. <laughs> but I look at this Kansas team, and I think there are people, you know, obviously factoring in the Bill Self thing and everything. And it's significant from that standpoint of not having your head coach on the sideline, but they've still got shot makers. You've still got, you know, a guy. You need a guy to make a run. They've got Jalen Wilson, but they've got everybody else around him, too. And it's going to be a challenge for Arkansas. I'm not saying they can't pull it off, but I want to see the best of Arkansas. Because if you see the best of Arkansas, it'll be a really good game. If you don't, I think Kansas is the kind of team that can come and knock down shots and, and make you pay for it. Yeah, I think that this one is so interesting of what has really been striking to me. Kansas is actually giving up fewer points per possession away from Fog Allen Fieldhouse than they are at home, which I do think is very scary because, as we know with Arkansas, they've gotten a big lift all season long when they have been playing at Bud Walton Arena as well. So that is something that I do take a look at as, Blake, you know that these SEC home environments – They're very, very big, and I do think that that is something to take a look at with regards to the Auburn versus Houston game as well. I'm not sure what you make out of this matchup, but I think Auburn being able to play within their home state, that's a big edge. Houston has been one of my top teams all season long, but they're going to be banged up with Marcus Sasser dealing with an injury. Jamal Shedd has been dealing with an injury. What are you hearing really with regards to the front of the injury status on both of these teams? And how do you view this game? Because I do think that Houston fans are still going to travel for this game. But 
as we know, out there in the state of Alabama, people love their basketball. And I think that this is going to be a good home court environment for Auburn. That's going to give them a chance to perhaps be able to spring the upset. Yeah, this is so fascinating. When the draw came out, you looked at it, you said, all right, Auburn's in Birmingham as a nine. I think a lot of people were shocked by that. But you still thought, okay, it might be in Birmingham as a nine. But let's be honest, if they get that matchup with Houston, Houston's been significantly better than Auburn this season. But now it's like, Greg, everything just is sort of aligning for Auburn because it's the one-two. It's the one. They look really good against Iowa. Now, I know Iowa's been you know up and down, especially away from home this season, but I thought Auburn played one of their more complete games that I've seen them play in probably two months now. Because, I mean, we talked about it, right? They came into the NCAA tournament losing 9 of 13. I just thought it was a really nice performance. They had six guys in double figures, and I just really liked what I saw from them. They were hitting shots. Hey, if Auburn hits shots, look out. You know, that's not a great three-point shooting team, but they've been shooting it better. But it's also the injury status, like you said, of Houston. Marcus Sasser, I know Greg has said, he is 100% going to play. Well, there's a difference between 100% going to play and being at 100% when you play. I don't know that I would expect Marcus Sasser to be 100%. And if that's the case, well, we, we've seen it, right? Like, they're not the same team when he's not out there playing 30-something minutes. They're not the same team. And then you talked about the Jamal Shedd injury. One of those where, I guess, Kelvin Sampson's quote was that he was very concerned. You know, obviously, Shedd still played, I think, 35-plus minutes yesterday against Northern Kentucky. You know, someone else who said, hey, you know, I'm going to play. I don't know that you're getting the same Houston team that you've got that got them to that number one seed. And if you get Auburn with all this momentum now, all of a sudden they put a complete performance kind of together against Iowa. They have all this confidence. They have nothing to lose. They're the nine seed playing the one seed. Yeah, like the setup is fascinating to me. And I do think there is a path now for Auburn to pull this off. And you know, Greg, I've talked about Auburn all season. Like I've been down on Auburn. Like I'm like, oh, they are just, they're tough to watch sometimes. But, you know, it's all about matchups. And we say that and it's all about kind of how the bracket falls and Knowing that they're getting Houston and Birmingham, and let's call it what it is, too. Of course, Alabama is going to be playing in the same session right after them. Now, how many Alabama fans are going to be there cheering on Houston? My guess is there will be quite a few that will try to go against the home court advantage for Auburn. But I think this game is way more interesting than, you know, obviously the data, maybe the computers. All that would suggest because it does seem like there's a lot of things that are swinging in Auburn's favor. It's just a matter of can they put together back-to-back complete games, Greg, because that's something with Auburn. We've not seen in two months. They haven't won back-to-back games, I want to say, since maybe mid-January or so. Can you get that from them? That's the big question. I do think it is a fascination because with Auburn, they've turned over a little bit of a new leaf in that they've been a little bit more defense-oriented, but that defense has been falling back on them a little bit, but it's coming at where their offense has all of a sudden come alive as well. So it's a very random Auburn team as Blake Lovell over at Southeastern 14 is joining me on the podcast, and you mentioned it. In that session as well, we are going to be seeing Alabama. They're going to be facing off against Maryland. And I think for me, the bigger question with Alabama is, are they going to be too distracted to be able to make that run to the Final Four and beyond? Because I don't think that they'll have an issue with Maryland. I think that it could be like an eight to a nine point game. But I do think that Alabama just has too much for Maryland to overcome. Maryland just has not been able to generate a lot of offense. Big Ten teams in general have not been themselves when they have been away from home as well, so that is a big, giant issue. But how do you view this Alabama team and have some of the off-court distractions still been swallowing this team up a little bit, 
or do you feel like they've gotten past them? Because just from my personal vantage point, being away from the team, it felt like they were really able to put things behind them when they were able to make that run to the SEC final and were able to win it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a team, you know, obviously, like you said, everything sort of surrounding it the past, however long it's been now, there's obviously been a lot there. And it's certainly a significant situation. And we've talked about it before. And when you look at it just from the basketball play, they played some of their best basketball of the season, you know, at times in the SEC tournament. And I think if you look at what they did, you know, against Corpus Christi, Brandon Miller doesn't score a point. I think that's the bigger question here, Greg, is Brandon Miller's availability. Because, you know, obviously, Nate Oates said after the game, hey, we had kind of planned not to play him that much. I think they had him on a, what, 15-minute kind of strict limit. They didn't want to play him. I know he said just a few hours ago, I think, in his press conference that, you know, they were holding him out of basically any sort of live stuff in practice. I mean, look, that's a groin injury, right, Greg? I mean, Marcus Sasser is a groin injury. Like, these are kind of the same things that we've seen what's happened with Sasser in terms of kind of re-injuring something like that. And that could be something that kind of lingers and you just don't know what you're going to get. And I mean, we're talking about two of the best players in the country here on, on teams that are number one seeds. And so, I mean, let's say, you know, there's a scenario where Brandon Miller is not available to play his normal allotment of minutes. Or let's say maybe he doesn't play. We have no idea. But I think that those are the things that you have to kind of look at because once again, it's all about matchups and kind of how things fall leading into it. They're clearly a different team without Brandon Miller, but let's be honest too. Alabama's got a ton of options, and that's why they are here, you know, in the spot. I mean, they scored, remember they scored ninety six points without him against Corpus Christi, which Maryland's going to present a little bit more of a challenge. Honestly, Greg, I think this is all about tempo. If Maryland can play their tempo, if they can take away possessions, not let Alabama get up and down the floor, all bets are off in a one game surviving advanced setting. But it's going to be a challenge, and I think that's what it comes down to. They've got to be able to hit shots. Like anybody does to beat Alabama, I mean, you know they're going to find their points at some point. But if you look at the teams that have beat them, Texas A&M, Tennessee, teams like that, most recently, at least in SEC play, they did it because they, they sort of fueled things with their defense and they, they made Alabama grind to a halt in terms of how the game was played. I think that's the only path that Maryland has to win this game. I do agree with you, Maryland. They're going to be outgunned with regards to size. I do think that Jameer Young is going to be one of the best guards out there on the floor and you know this, Alabama, they can be volatile with their three-point shooting, so that is something of note, but I do think that Alabama should be able to get it done from there, but it will be interesting to see what happens moving forward if there are going to be lingering injuries and distractions for Alabama and Blake. I know you're doing an amazing job of covering it all over there at Southeastern 14. It has been a great first week of the tournament for the SEC, by the way. I'm sure that you've been excited about that, and I know you're doing an amazing job of following the game of college basketball, and I'm sure that you, much like myself, are keeping track of all these coaching moves because in the offseason, I know that you do great work over at Blue Ribbon Yearbook as well. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yep, always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, we obviously have a lot going on in the NCAA tournament, keeping track of all the games, uh, period, not just SEC teams. But, yeah, we're doing all that. You can check it out, Southeastern 14. Com. You go to our YouTube channel, search for Southeastern 14 on YouTube, and yeah, you can find us there. Reaction videos to every game involving SEC teams, preview videos, we've got it all there. You can check it out, and yeah, everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. We know that we're going to have at least five teams from the SEC in the round of 32. We're doing this in advance of Providence versus Kentucky, so when it's all said and done, it might be six, and heck, we didn't even get enough time to talk about two versus Tennessee. That's how rambunctious things are right now with the SEC. And Blake is doing a great job of being able to cover it all 
over there at Southeastern 14. It is always a pleasure to get him aboard right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, we've got an amazing slate of games for this Saturday, the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament, plus some NIT and CBI thrown in there as well. I give you picks and analysis on all of it next as we hit some bank checks. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. And we're back here above Las Vegas for Ghost Guest Soups with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. Always great to get Blake Lovell aboard. Does amazing work over at Southeastern 14. When it comes to the offseason of college basketball, he's going to be over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook, as he always does, doing amazing previews for them, getting you set for what is going to be a great 2024 NCAA tournament, but... And now we've got to deal with the 2023 NCAA tournament because it's hot and heavy. We've got the round of 32 coming up, and we've got some NIT CBI games as well. For those of you guys looking to bet on the smaller games, we've got you guys covered on those. But it is time for picks and analysis on every single game on the college basketball betting board for Saturday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRS41. Here's how it's going to go. The two games for Orlando and the NCAA tournament are going to be up first. Then we go to Alabama for those games. The games at Iowa, games from California are going to be in the back end. And then we've got the NIT after that. And then the CBI games will be at the bottom. So that is the order that we are rolling with today. And let's get things started with the early game in the NCAA tournament. That would be 801-802 on the betting board. It is Furman. And they're going to be taking on San Diego State. San Diego State is a favorite of 5.5 points pretty much across the board. Total on this game is between 138 and 138.5. Seeing one stray 137.5 out there as well. And this is a total that I did set out of 136. I'm going to be one to dive under. San Diego State has really gotten back to their roots towards the beginning part of the season. I did feel like they were playing a little bit too fast 
for their own good, and that is noted in the fact that they aren't in, like, the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game like they have been playing down the stretch, but this certainly has been a San Diego State team that has been able to find themselves, and I do think that they are going to be able to win the battle on the glass. You've got Nathan Menza, who's been able to do a tremendous job being able to give you six rebounds per game. Jaden Ledee had a nice game when it came to that matchup against Charleston, so he was able to come up big with that regard, but I do think that Furman is going to be able to hold in there. I set my line at four. I'm going to be willing to take the points with the Paladins because this is one of the best offenses that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Mike Bothwell didn't even necessarily have a great game in the win that they were able to have over Virginia a couple days ago, and he's one of the lesser three-point shooters for Furman. Overall, Bothwell has been able to give you 17.8 points, three assists per contest, shoots 35.5% from three-point range, but among their top six scorers, he actually shoots out the worst mark from three-point range. Everyone else shoots at least 34.7% from three, including the hero in J.P. Peaks, who's able to give you 12 points, four assists per contest, and each of your top three scores for Furman, they all give you at least 2.9 assists per game. So you've got overall some really good facilitation for this team, and that's why they've been one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. In a road-slash-shoot-record environment, Furman, number three in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Not a team that's necessarily going to be playing super-duper fast. Not necessarily a team that's going to be playing super-duper slow. Now, you do have Matt Bradley on the flip side. He's been able to do a good job of carrying this San Diego State offense. He's been able to give you 13 points per game, and it is an improved San Diego State three-point shooting attack as well. They're shooting as a collective 35.5% from three-point range. A lot of this is thanks to bringing in Micah Parrish, who provides right around 6'6 six six size. Comes in from the Horizon League, 7.5 points, 3.5 boards per contest. And then you've been able to get right around 7.5 points, 5 boards out of Kishad Johnson as well. So I do think that the overall rebounding for San Diego State going to be able to get it done in this spot. And I recognize that San Diego State has been on location for a few days. But you do want to be keeping in mind as well that you've got a San Diego State team that's going to be playing at 9, 10 a.m. Pacific time. I do think that that is going to take a little bit out of them. I think Furman is going to stay lively in this game. Furman, no doubt about it. In terms of point slot on a per-possession basis, they do not compare to San Diego State. They are 177th of the country in terms of overall defensive efficiency. It is a San Diego State team that they are ranked in the top 25 in the country with this regard, though they are giving up right around 8.5 points more per runner in possessions. But I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Get slowed down, semi-total at a 136. Going to be diving under. And with Furman set them as a 4-point underdog, so going to be looking at the points as well. 803-804 on the betting board. It is Duke, and they're going to be playing against Tennessee from Orlando, Florida. Tennessee is a now 3.5 point underdog. They open up anywhere between 2 and 2.5, two and, and your total on this game, it is between 128 and 128.5. By the way, when it came to my bracket, I actually did advance Furman to the Sweet 16, a little bit late for bracket picks right now, so not going to be doing as much of that, but that said, in terms of this one, I did advance Duke on my bracket, but I'm going to be willing to take the 3.5 here with Tennessee. I set Duke as a 2-point favorite. I recognize that Tennessee did not have the most savory end-of-game situation against Louisiana, but I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to contain Duke because Duke doesn't do a great job with their 3-point shooting. They shoot about 33.5%. As a collective, you've been able to have a pair of guys in Tyree Proctor along with Mark Mitchell. Both give you about 9 points per game. Mitchell able to give you about 4.5 boards per game. And what I will say about Duke is that they're pretty efficient with the ball. They only turn the ball over 12 times per game. Jeremy Roach has done a good job of not turning it over. It gives you 3 assists, 13.5 points per game. But what you really need is a bit more Dariq Whitehead. Because Dariq Whitehead 
is a guy that's really able to light it up from three-point range. Overall, the season has shot 43% from three, went away from home, more like 46.7% from the outside. He was able to reach double figures for, I believe, the third time in his last nine games in the game against Oral Roberts, just a complete and our bludgeoning on that front. So I do find that to be fascinating. You've got a pair of teams that they are not looking to push tempo. Duke now outside of the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. The Tennessee team is built on defense. They are 276th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And Tennessee has been tremendous on defense all season long. Second in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, they do give up quite a bit more when they are on the road, giving up 13 more points per 100 possessions. But, I mean, that's very relative because they're still the second best team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis when they leave home as well. This is also a Duke team that has really been able to rein it in. They got off to a little bit of a rough start towards ACC play. This team has been a flamethrower. They've been able to win 10 straight games. The defense has been the big catalyst as to why, giving up fewer than 70 points in four out of their last five games. But Tennessee, and they've been able to do a good job with their defense as well, giving up 57 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. And for Tennessee, they're going to need to hang their head on that. With Sakai Ziegler out of the fold, you still have, though, a guy that's able to dole it out in Santiago Vescovi. 12.5 points, 3 assists. Shoots high 30s from three-point range, and Tennessee is the bunch out of these two that does a better job of being able to generate turnovers. Kyle Filipowski is going to be the best rebounder in this game. He's able to supply 15 points, nine boards, capable of shooting threes as a seven-footer. Doesn't necessarily shoot them well, but capable three-point shooter. But six foot nine Olivier Kamala, I do think could provide some issues for Duke. Ten and a half points, five boards. He shoots right around 31-32% from three-point range. Josiah Jordan James. He gives you a steal. He gives you 10 points, four and a half boards. You just have a Tennessee team that, as a collective, they do an amazing job of hitting the glass. You don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but five separate guys that give you at least four and a half rebounds per game, seven different guys that give you at least 3.4 boards per contest. I think that Tennessee is going to make this game grimy. I think that they're going to make this game bowling ball shoe ugly. I think that Duke is going to step up for their defense, and I do think that Derek Lively, him being able to give this Duke team two and a half blocks per game is going to be the difference, but I think that you're in for a low-scoring affair. The opener of this game was 129 on the total. Now between 128 to 128.5, I set my total at a 128, so at 128.5 or higher, I'm willing to dive under, but I'm going to be willing to take the 3.5 with Tennessee. I did advance Duke on my bracket, but I'm willing to take 3.5 with my bet on Tennessee in what I think is going to be a nip-and-duck game and the under. 805-806 on the betting board. Alabama and Maryland do battle from Birmingham as Alabama is a 9-8.5 point favorite. And your total, that is between 143.5 and 144.5. I set Alabama as an 8.5 point favorite. Here at 9, it is my buy point on Maryland. We were talking with our good friend Blake Lovell about all that Alabama is dealing with, all the distractions, all the injuries, and I do think that Alabama gets the job done, but I do think that Maryland is going to be able to slow this game down a little bit. We have seen Maryland turn things into big giant slugs when they go up against up-tempo teams all season long, and I do think that Jameer Young is going to be able to hold his own in this game. 16 points, 3 assists, 1.3 steals per contest, and it's a Maryland team that, unlike many out there in the Big Ten, their defense travels. Now, their offense is scoring well fewer than 10 points per one hour possessions fewer when they are away from home rather than when they are at home. That certainly takes a bit of a drop-off. The defense is not. They only give up two more points per one hour possessions when they leave home. Alabama has been amazing with their defense as 
this bunch in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Currently clocking in sixth in the country. Uh, I mean, with this being in Birmingham, Alabama, this is essentially a home game for them. Birmingham, Alabama has been the home of SEC media days, and I've actually attended an SEC media day or two out there when it's been in Birmingham. But that said, for Alabama, they do a nice job of being able to cut off the three-point arc. As a matter of fact, one away from home, they're in the top five nationally in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. But they still need to knock down their own threes because they're in the top 25 nationally in terms of their own just percentage of shots that come from three-point range on field goals, and Maryland is allowing opponents to shoot 31.8% from three-point range one away from home. That is a top 45 mark in all of college basketball. Julian Reese is probably not going to be able to win the battle down low, coupled with Dante Scott in their 13.3 rebounds per game against Alabama, but we were talking about Brandon Miller dealing with a little bit of a growing injury. You've got Noah Clowney. He's been able to do an amazing job, 10.8 rebounds, but you tell that Alabama was playing a lot of their reserves in that game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I think we're going to see a little bit less of that, and I do not think that we are going to be seeing what we saw a few days ago and that Mr. Nick Pringle went off in that game against Corpus Christi for 19 points and 15 rebounds in 20 minutes. I would say that Alabama should not be banking on that. And Alabama's hold, they do shoot 33.8% from three. They turn the ball for 14 times for contest. Alabama won the quickest teams in all of college basketball. Maryland won the slowest teams in all of college basketball. I will say this for Alabama prior to the round of 64 game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. In their previous 22 games, they had allowed 70 points or fewer in regulation at all but three of them. I do think that Alabama is going to reign supreme with their defense. I do think that we're going to see a little bit more of the normal starters here, but I do think that Maryland has a chance to be able to hold in this game. Akeem Hart has been able to give you 11.5 points per game. Maryland does a nice job not turning the ball over fewer than 12 turnovers per game, so I think the Maryland discipline keeps them alive in this game. I set my line at 8.5 and at 9. I'm willing to take the points with Maryland. Semi total 142.5. Alabama plays fast, but they play tough defense. I think this game gets slowed down. So, looking at the under and the points with Maryland. 807 808 on the betting board. Houston is going to be playing against Auburn. This is from Alabama. By the way, it did advance Alabama on my bracket. And in this one, Houston is between a 5 to a 5.5 point favorite. So, on this game, is anywhere between 131.5 and 132. I've accounted for the injuries in the backcourt to Houston. I've got to figure that if Marcus Sasser plays at all in this game, he is going to be incredibly limited. So, I mean, that is certainly a big factor. Now, Jamal Shedd has been dealing with a little bit of an injury for this Houston team as well. But even with that, Houston does have good versatility with Jairus Walker. Walker, 11.6 boards, shoots 34.5% from three-point range. Honestly, I think the biggest injury in this game is to Mr. Shedd because he has been able to be a really good floor general for this team as he's been able to dole out the ball for five assists. And Houston turns the ball over fewer than 10 times for contest. Houston, we always talk about their defense because they are the number one team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Very few of us talk about the fact that they are also a top 10 team in terms of offensive efficiency, and Shed is a big reason why. And I do think that Shed, out of Shed and Sasser, is a guy that's a little bit less banged up. Now, Jamal Shed and Marcus Sasser both said that they are going to play in this game, and I do think that both will play. Once again, I just think that Sasser is going to be relatively ineffective. But I do think that Jamal Shed, even with dealing with that knee injury, he is going to be close to 100%. Not 100%, but I think that he's relatively close to 100%. Meanwhile, you've got an Auburn unit that... We were talking about it with Blake Lovell. They've been hanging their head on defense all season long, but 
They've now given up at least 70 points in each of their last five games, and they've given up 75-plus points in four of them. So this has been a little bit less than savory. G&I Broom has been cleaning up down low, 14 points, 8.5 boards, a little bit over two blocks per contest. You've got Wendell Green giving you four assists, 14 points per contest, and the guy that I do think is worth taking note of is Alan Flanagan as well, because Flanagan two years ago was a big-time contributor to this unit as he was one of the top scorers on the team. He was averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of like 12, 13 points per game. He was dealing with injuries all year last year, but he has really been a little bit of an X-factor in Auburn being able to pick up their offense just a little bit more. You take a look since the turn of the new year, and he's been able to supply the team with nearly 12 points per game. He shoots 36% from three for an Auburn team that's in the bottom 75 nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Gives you a steal per contest, so he's been able to do a nice job with that regard, but Auburn, they have been incredibly inconsistent. We talked about it with Blake. They just have not been able to put back-to-back wins together in a little bit over a month, so that's a big-time issue. And for Houston, even with a less than 100% Marcus Sasser, you still got Draymond Mark, who's able to give you 9.5 points per game. Defense is still going to be there. Jawan Roberts is able to give you 8 rebounds, a little bit over a block per contest, and I do think that Shed's injury is not as bad as that of Marcus Sasser. So I do think that this is a circumstance where we're going to get a low-scoring slog. Auburn is now a mid-tempo team in terms of total possessions per game just outside the top 150. Houston, certainly a team that is in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. So I do think that you get a low-scoring slog. Semi-total 130 diving under. I think that Shed is good enough to be able to go in this game and be relatively effective, which is why I am on the side of Houston, even though this is a game that is going to be essentially a home game for Auburn. We talked about this with Blake, with it being out there in Birmingham, Alabama. Said Houston has a six-point favorite, one to lay up to five and a half with them, and take a look at the under. 809-810 on the betting board. Kansas and Arkansas do battle from Des Moines, Iowa. Kansas is a three-and-a-half point favorite with your total between 143 and 144. This total open up at 145 and a half, and this is going to be the DK Nation write-up. Not going to be on the total, by the way, because I think with that now we've got the correct total. I set my total at a 143 and a half. 144 is the max I'd be willing to go under on, but now we're seeing a lot of 143. So this is when it's all said and done. Most likely going to be me on the over. And as a matter of fact, between 143 and 144, I would rather take a 143 over because with Arkansas, it seems as though they've been playing a little bit more up-tempo ever since Nick Smith has gotten back in the fold. And I do think that this is going to be a game that it is going to be close enough for late-game felling. But by that, I mean you've got Kansas, who's up by six, seven points. And that is a perfect strike zone for felling. And I do think the Kansas gets the job done. My write-up is on Kansas. I made them a five-and-a-half-point favorite. And with Kansas, what you've got is a team that has actually been better with their defense away from them than they have been at home, which is crazy because Fog Allen Fieldhouse is such a good home court environment, but they're actually giving up four-tenths of a point fewer per one hour possessions when they're away from home than when they are at home. Arkansas is actually the better team overall with their defensive efficiency, 25th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Kansas is 38th in the country, but Kansas gives up 5.9 points fewer per one hour possessions when away from home than Arkansas. Arkansas, they see their defense really go down the tubes when they're away from Bud Walton Arena. And Arkansas does not have a single guy on the roster that gives you north of 5.6 rebounds per game. They have a little bit of a better rebound rate overall than Kansas. But Kansas, they're going to have the best rebounders in this game. Kevin McCuller was able to return from that back issue. He's been able to give the team 10.5 points, 7 boards, 2 seals per game. Jalen Wilson is going to be the best player on the floor. Regardless of team, 20 points, 8.5 boards. Shoots right around 34% from 3-point range. 
Now, you do have the health issues of Bill Self, but did not affect this team in the Big 12 tournament, did not affect them against Howard. Defense has still been firing all cylinders, so I'm not too concerned there. And Juan Harris is a magician with the ball. 2.2 seals, 6.3 assists, and 2 turnovers per game. It is an Arkansas bunch that ranks 305th in the country in terms of 3-point shooting percentage as well. You just don't have those guys. They're able to light it up from the outside. Nick Smith has been able to do a nice job recently for the team, but I mean, even in that game against Illinois, he had a 6-point clunker in that one, so... He certainly has been a little bit out of sorts, and we just talked about it with Blake. It just feels like this Arkansas cohesion, it's not what it's been in past years. You do have Ricky Council giving you 16 points, a little bit over a steal per contest, but he shoots 27% from three. Anthony Black shoots 30.7% from three, 13 points, four assists. It is an Arkansas team that generates steals, but I do think that Kansas is going to be able to do a good job of taking care of the ball. That is a perfect antidote to this. You've got a Kansas bunch that's gotten past 70 points in three out of their last four games. It is an Arkansas defense that has been able to rise up themselves, giving up 73 or fewer each out of their last three games, but it is an Arkansas offense that all year long has been very suspect. Since Nick Smith has returned, they've been playing up-tempo in Kansas. They are a team that ranks in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game as well, so I personally would rather have a 143 over rather than a 144 under. Did set my total at a 143.5 though, so in the middle right now, I'll see where this moves in the AM, but currently planning on a 143 over, but that said, DK Nation right up. I think Kansas, even with Bill Self out of the fold, gets the job done. I am willing to lay with Kansas, and if Bill Self is able to be on the sidelines for this one, just a little bit of extra credit if you back Kansas. 8-11-8-12 on the betting board. Penn State and Texas do battle from Des Moines, Iowa, as Texas is back to being a favorite of 5.5 points, and your total on this game, it is aimed between 139 and 139.5, and, and this is right in line with what I made it. I did make this line 5. I did see early openers more around 6 and 6.5, six and if we do see this move back to a 6, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Penn State. If we see this move back to a 5, I'd be then willing to lay it with Texas. So I'm going to be basing this on current live movement. If you've currently got a 5.5 before you, I would say hang tight a little bit more if you were unable to get one of those 6, 6.5s on the opener. But I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that Texas is just a little bit of a tough matchup for Penn State in that Texas just has so many good athletes to be able to clog up what Penn State is looking to do. And Penn State, they are looking for wide open looks from three-point range. There's no doubt about it. Penn State, a top six team in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage with Jalen Pickett, who deserves to be an All-American. I mean, this guy has been legitimately, in my opinion, a top two, top three guard in the country. 17 plus points, seven boards, seven assists per game while shooting darn near 40% from three-point range. Texas, they allow opponents to shoot about 32.4% from three-point range. For comparison, Texas A&M for the season, they were allowing opponents to shoot about 33% from three-point range. So they're a little bit of a better three-point shooting defense. And Texas is not necessarily a team as bulky as one of those guys down low that is going to give you like A-plus rebounds per game. They've only got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. And that'd be Timmy Allen, who's been able to give you right in the neighborhood about 10 points, a little bit over 5 rebounds per game, chips in there, a few assists per contest, and I do think the big key here for Texas is the man that has been able to emerge recently down low. That'd be Dylan DeSue. He's a 6'9", little bit of a combo player that, for the season, has been able to register in that neighborhood about 8.5 points, Four boards, a little bit over an assist per contest, but you take a look at what he's been able to do here in the month of March. In these six games, it has been his best stretch of the season. In March, he's averaging 13 points, 
7.9 rebounds, shooting 90% at the free throw line. So he has been able to do a tremendous job giving the team a boost down low, gives you a block and a steal per game as well. That's something that Penn State just doesn't have. That is the biggest weakness with Penn State. They don't have a true low post player. They do have Seth Lundy and Andrew Funk. They're able to bring the Funk 26.8 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot 40 plus percent from three. You've got Cameron Winter giving you two assists, nine points, shoots 40 percent from three. Miles Dredd knocks down 37.5% of his series, but you don't necessarily have a lot of depth with Penn State, which is a big reason why they're in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. Now, Texas, they recently have been throttling down as well. When you saw the coaching change for Chris Beard, they were looking to run it, gun it, just completely rip it down your throat. Now, in their last, I would say, five games, they've throttled down by about four to five possessions per game, and their defense has really benefited as they have given up 61 points or fewer in each other last five games. The best stretch that they've had all season long with slash without Chris Beard. You've got Marcus Carr, who's able to give you 16 points, four assists, shoots 37% from three-point range. Christian Bishop is able to give you a little bit of something down low. Tyrese Hunter has been able to give you right around 10 points per game, but I do think the guy that you've got to be taking a look at is Sir Jabari Rice. Sir Jabari Rice has given the team at least 12 points in 11 out of the last 13 games and has really emerged for them as he's been also a really good on-ball defender as well. But for Sir Jabari Rice, if you date it back ever since their game against Tennessee on the 28th of January, so in a 15-game time span, 16.7 points, shooting 41.8% from three on over six threes per contest, gives you a steal, four rebounds, two assists per game. He is going to be the X factor. I do think that Penn State is going to be able to get points up on this Texas team. I do think that Texas is going to be giving up more than 61 in this game. We saw this total open up at a 140 and a half. That's between 139 and 139.5. And I think Penn State gets theirs. Penn State also defense as a little bit wobbly though as well, which is why I cannot take them in this spot unless if I'm getting at least six. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Penn State drawing 25th in the country, giving up 8.7 points more per one hour possession. So a circumstance of which at a five or less and willing to lay with Texas. Six or more taking the points with Penn State and here at 140 or less going to be taking a look at the over 813, 814 on the betting board. Princeton is going to be taking on Missouri from the great state of California. Missouri is a six half point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 149 and a half and 150. I said Missouri is a seven half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. One thing that Princeton is going to have an engine that is going to be down low. Princeton is a top 35 team in the country in terms of rebound rate. Missouri has just one guy that's able to give you north of five rebounds per game. That'd be Kobe Brown but Kobe Brown, he has been amazing. 16 points, 6.3 boards. She's 45.8% from three-point range, and this is a Missouri team that they do a nice job of being able to generate turnovers. Missouri in the top 10 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. It is a Missouri team that's going to look to get out there. They're going to look to run it and gun it, and Princeton, they play a little bit more methodically as Missouri, a top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game. Princeton, they are clocking in well outside the top 200. They always play that spread out offense. They're looking to just make sure that they're able to get some wide open looks from three-point range as Tucson Avalman has been the main guy to be able to set things up. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, but at six foot eight, he's able to do a wide variety of things, much like Kobe Brown as gives you 14 points, six boards, right around four and a half assists per game. The big key here for Princeton is 
being able to cut off the three-pointer as Princeton overall for the season has allowed opponents to shoot about 32.7% from three-point range as 98th in all of college basketball. Missouri near 241st in the country in terms of their three-point shooting defense. So that means that Matt Aloko is going to be able to get some three-point looks as he's been able to supply Princeton with 10 points, five boards, shoots 39.5% for three. Princeton overall shooting 34.5% for three with 12.5 turnovers per game. They should be able to get some rebounds out of a guy that I really like in Caden Pierce. He has been able to emerge towards back half of the season as he's been able to give the team 8-plus rebounds in each of the last five games overall for the season. averaging 8.3 points, 7.1 rebounds per game has done his best work here down the stretch. But I do think that Missouri going to be able to generate a lot of seals and you've got a lot of interchangeable parts when it comes to doling out the ball as you've got a Missouri team that has three separate guys that give you at least two and a half assists per game. Nick Connor, Shawnees combined for five and a half assists per game. They both give you between 7.3 and 8 points per game in honor. He shoots 40% from three-point range and for that matter, you've got a Missouri team that has three different guys that give you at least 7.9 points per game, shooting north of 39.7% from three-point range. I do think that's just a little bit too much offense here from Missouri. Princeton, in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, they are outside the top 75 as well. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of an issue for a Princeton team that, let's call it what it is, they got a little bit fortunate to be here. I will say this for Princeton, though, as well. They're actually giving up fewer points per possession when they're away from home than they are at home, as a matter of fact, by 3.3 points per 100 possessions, but I do think that Missouri is going to be able to light it up from 3-point range, create some turnovers, and get this game at their pace. Set my line at 7.5, willing to lay it with Missouri. Set my total at 151.5. So looking over, this is the last of the NCAA tournament games before we hit the NIT, 8.15, 8.16, UCLA and Northwestern do battle from California. Northwestern opened up as an 8-point underdog in a lot of spots. Now this is between 7 and 7.5, and your total on this game is aimed between 126.5 and 127.5. I need the hook on 7 to be able to take a look at Northwestern. I set my line at 7, so 7.5 or more. Going to be one. Take the points. You do have a banged-up UCLA team. They were able to get by UNC Asheville. That was just a pitiful matchup for UNC Asheville. They're unable to take care of the ball in UCLA. Their lifeblood is being able to generate turnovers. A top-20 team in the country in terms of turnovers for on a per-possession basis. We saw it come out in that game against Asheville, even without Jalen Clark, who's a top-15 player in the country in terms of steals for on a per-possession basis, was averaging 13.6 boards, 2.6 steals per game that they're able to do so as Jaime Alcast, Edgar Campbell. They combined for 2.7 steals per contest. Campbell's able to give you 13 half points. She's 35% from three, and Aimeak has 17 points, eight boards. Not a great three-point shooter as UCLA's whole. They're shooting 34.5% from three-point range, but really the cheat code here is Amari Bailey. He's going to be one of the best athletes out there on the floor. Last two games for UCLA, a combined 36 points, 11 boards, seven assists, four steals, and a partridge in a bear tree, so he's been terrific. I do think we're going to see Adam Bona in this game, but I think it's going to be in such a small dosage that it really doesn't have too much of an impact on the game, so that's why I'm taking a look at that, and I do think the Northwestern is not going to be falling into the same vortex that we saw with UNC Asheville. They do a good job of taking care of the ball. 9.8 turnovers per game in the top 20 nationally in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. They do not light it up from three-point range. They shoot just 32% from three-point range, and Northwestern has just one player that gives you above five rebounds per game, Matthew Nicholson, but at the same time, they've got four separate guys that can be at least 4.6 rebounds per game as Ty Berry, Robbie Barron, along with Brooks, 
Barnheiser, they all are in the fold with this as well. And for all four of these guys that give you between 4.6 and 5.3 rebounds per game, balanced scoring. They all give you between 6 and 8.6 points per contest. They all add to the collective. And Northwestern, they're in the top 35 nationally in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis as well. The Northwestern defense is not quite that of UCLA, but we know this with Northwestern. They are fully healthy. UCLA, a top-four team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Northwestern did have to travel out here to the West Coast, but by now they are used to it. And Northwestern, 24th in the country points a lot on a per-possession basis. I do think that Northwestern going to be able to hold up in this game. I do think that the hole is going to be greater than the sum of its parts. Northwestern is a squad that has scored 65 points or fewer and now six out of their last nine games, so they have been shaky with their offense. UCLA has been able to do a good job of being able to stifle on defense. I did say this low total under. I set mine at a 125, but I do think that Northwestern has a defense to hold in this game as well, so set my line at 7 at 7.5 or more. We'll take the points with Northwestern and I'm going to be taking a look at this little under as well. Now we've got two NIT games. They're going to be on the board for this college basketball Saturday. This starts with 817-818 on the board. Michigan is going to be hitting the road to face off against Vanderbilt. They anchor down as Vanderbilt. They open up as a one-point favorite. Now we're seeing them anywhere between a one-and-a-half to a two-point favorite. And your total on this game, it is between 148 and 148.5. Chet Howard is not going to be a go for Michigan in this one, but even with that, I did set Michigan as the two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them out right on the money line. Keep in mind, this is going to be an early tip time, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern time, but without Chet Howard on the floor, Michigan has honestly been able to play a little bit of better defense. They did give up 80 points to Toledo, but Toledo is a top three team in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. I do think that we need to set that one to the side a little bit more. Hunter Dickinson, 18.5 points on board. She's 43.5% from three with Liam Robbins out for the season for Vanderbilt, who is providing right around three blocks per contest. That's going to be a tough guard for them. And Vanderbilt, I mean, we will, if we want to poke holes in the Michigan defense, which is outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, we've got to address the fact that Vanderbilt is 253rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Even without Dred Howard, you've got Doug McDaniels. They will give you eight points, three and a half assists. It's a very efficient Michigan team with just 7.2 turnovers per game. Vanderbilt, they play at a relatively mid-tempo, much like Michigan. They also do a good job of valuing the ball. 10.8 turnovers per game. Ezra Mahone has been able to give you right around 10 points, 3.8 assists. That's a nice job of not turning it over. Got a pair of guys that are able to shoot it okay from three-point range. Tyron Lawrence along with Jordan Wright. Wright has been Mr. Wright with about 10.5 points, five boards, a seal per contest. Lawrence is the better of the two from three-point range at right around 36.5% from distance, 13 points, five boards per game, but Miles Sute did enter into the transfer portal, so they're without him. That leaves you with one guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. Got to figure that we're going to be seeing a lot of Quentin Melora Brown, who he was in that game against Yale, able to do a nice job down low with 13 rebounds. I don't think that he's going to find the same success against Hunter Dickinson. I do think that Dickinson is going to be the X factor. Both of these teams value the ball quite well. Both of these teams have been shotty with their defense, to say the least, but I do think that we've went a little bit too far because Michigan's numbers on defense are quite a bit warped by the fact that they had three straight games that went to overtime, and all those games they had given up 70 points or fewer in regulation. So I do think that Michigan is going to be able to hold up a little bit more with their defense. This is also an early tip time. So here at 148.5, diving under, I did set my total at a 148. So at the hook or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And I said Michigan as my two-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking them outright on the money line. 
819-820 on the betting board. It is Cincinnati, and yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're going to be on the road facing off against Hofstra. Do note that with the NIT, sometimes the bottom team, they're actually the road team. This is one of these cases. This is a home game for Hofstra, so do note that, but with Hofstra, we are finding them as a one and a half point home underdog, and your total on this game is saying between 150 and a half and 151. With Cincinnati, I did set them as a two-point favorite. One and a half is a maximum lay, but I am going to be willing to lay. This officer team really came alive with their defense. They did give up north of 70 points in their game against Rutgers. And in the um, CAA semifinal against UNC Wilmington, they gave up 79 points. But they had given up 71 points in regulation. And for Hofstra, if you take a look at the regular season, they had given up 72 points or fewer in 10 out of their last 12 games. So they've done a nice job of fortifying themselves with that regard as Officer at the beginning of the year, they weren't really able to provide a lot of defense. And this is still a team that doesn't necessarily do a good job with their rebounding. So Victor Lakeen, who's been able to give you right around 12.5.7 rebounds per game, he is going to be critical for a Cincinnati team that they themselves have been a little bit hodgepodgey with their defense. 81st in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 10.3 points more per one hour possessions when they do leave all. Meanwhile, you've got a Hofstra team that they're 60th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis with Aaron Action Estrada being the main headline guy. Only guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, 20.3 points, 5.5 boards, a seal and a half, four assists, shoots 37% for three, and this officer team strokes it for three. They shoot 36.7% from distance. Both of these teams do a good job of valuing the ball. About 10.5 turnovers per game for Hofstra, about 10.5 turnovers per game for Cincinnati. Cincinnati, I just feel like, has a better guard duo. Landers, Nolly, David DeJulius, combining for 31.3 points. Nolly gives you 5.8 boards, shoots 42% from three. They both give you a steal per contest. DeJulius, more of your main facilitator of 5.3 steals per game, and OG Aguama has been able to step up as well with Mr. Aguama. He has been able to do a nice job of giving the team six plus rebounds in four of the last five games. So that is going to give a little bit of a rebounding edge over someone like a Walt Williams, who for Hofstra gives you between four and four and a half rebounds per game. Nelson Obayachi Idiom has been able to give you right around four boards per contest as well, but doesn't really provide a lot on the offensive side of things as well. And this Cincinnati team as a collective has been able to do a really nice job of stroking it from three-point range, shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. I do think that Cincinnati has a little bit of better versatility. I think that the athletes are going to be better in this circumstance as well. And both of these teams, they play at a middle-ish tempo Cincinnati. They're getting right around 100th in terms of total possessions per game. Hofstra, they're hovering more around the 200th range in terms of total possessions per game. But both of these teams can speed up when needed. But I do think that you're going to get just enough defense to be able to go under in this spot. And I do think that Cincinnati has enough rebounding to be able to get it done. I set my total at 147. I'm diving under with Cincinnati. Made them the two-point favorite. So, one to lay one and a half and absolutely nothing more with them. We go to our four games out there in the CBI. And of these CBI games, by the way, they are going to be played in Daytona Beach, Florida. 829, 830 on the betting board. Indiana State and USC Upstate. Lead things off at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern with Indiana State being an 11-point favorite. And your total on this game, it is between 158 and 158 and a half. I did think that we have went too far with this total. I set mine at a 150. I'm going to be willing to dive under. I recognize that in the CBI, the emphasis is not necessarily going to be playing on tremendous defense, but I do think that Indiana State is going to be here to try to win this thing. They are 59th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Indiana State sort of plays at 40 minutes of HE double hockey six style in that. They're also a top 75 team in terms of total possession. Sessions per game and 
you do have a USC Upstate team that they're not necessarily a blazer themselves. And when it comes to USC Upstate, their three-point inning defense has been leaving a little bit of something to be desired. 198th in the country in terms of opponent three-point inning percentage, and it really does diminish when they're away from home. They're allowing opponents to shoot about 30.8% from three-point range when they're at home in a roadside shoot record environment. This drops to about 36.2% from distance, and they don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. If you really want to be able to hit up this Indiana State team, you got to be able to do it down low with a little bit of a big man, and Upstate doesn't necessarily do that. You'll see Upstate very much a mid-tempo team as they're currently about 200th of the country in terms of total possessions per game, and they do have Jordan Ganey who's able to take over a game. He's able to give you 15 points, two and a half assists, two steals per game. She's 36% from three-point range Upstate. They generate about seven and a half steals per game, but they also turn the ball over 13.3 times for contest. Meanwhile, for Indiana State, holes greater than some of its parts. You've got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game as your main headliner and Cavissier McCauley, 15 and a half points, five and a half boards. She's 37.5% from three, but then you've got Robbie Avila, Cooper Nice, and Cam Henry. They all give you between 10.6 and 11.6 points per contest. They all give you between 4 and 4.7 rebounds per game. Henry, your main facilitator, 1.3 steals, 3.8 assists per game, while Nice shoots 39% from three, but a really nice collective. Indiana State, despite going up tempo, just 11.8 turnovers per game. And this Indiana State defense did a very solid job down the stretch with their defense as they allowed 70 points or fewer in three other final four games. And for that matter, I think that they allowed 70 or fewer in 10 out of their last 13. Meanwhile, for USC Upstate, the defense has not been bad for them themselves, giving up 70 points or fewer in three of their last four games to end the regular season. The offense has been a little bit shaky throughout the campaign just because they don't have a lot of rebounding. Trey Bourneau is your top rebounder, 4.3 rebounds, 11 points per game. I just think that USC Upstate is relatively outgunned, and Indiana State does a great job with their whole is greater than the sum of its parts up-tempo approach. So, did sum my total 150, especially with this being an early game. I don't think that guys are going to be canning shots early on, so going to be taking a look at the under, and with Indiana State, made them 12-point favor, won't delay the 11 with them. 831-832 on the betting board. North Alabama is going to be playing against Southern Utah. Southern Utah is a 8.5 to a 9-point favorite in your total. That is between 163.5 and 164. I made Southern Utah also a 12-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Southern Utah, a top 25 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And they are going up against a North Alabama team that has been horrible with their defense. 314th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Good news is they're not playing overly far away from home out there in Daytona Beach, Florida. So that's a little bit to their benefit. And North Alabama, not necessarily the most up-tempo team in the world. As in terms of total possessions per game, this team is clocking in right around 107th. And I do think that we're going to be seeing a little bit more of a morsel of defense than what they are expecting. As I said, my total at 160. It's not like I think that our teams are going to be held at 65 or anything like that. But I think that we've went a little bit too far in the circumstance because I do think that Southern Utah is going to hold North Alabama to a lot of one-and-done opportunities. We've got a pair of guys in Harrison Butler along with Mason Fawcett. We'll be able to combine for 13.2 rebounds per game. They combined to be able to give you 23.7 points per contest of Fawcett. And right around 6'6", six 6'7". Foot six, six foot Shoots 36.5% from three-point range. You've got Davion Jones, Deontay Allen. Combined to shoot 37% for three. Allen, three and a half assists. Steal and a half. 11 points per game. Jones, your main score with 17 and a half points per game. So I like what these guys are able to bring to the table. And for North Alabama, you've got one guy on the roster that is currently giving you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. Damian Forrest. 
8.6 boards, a little bit over a block per game. Now, they do have a pair of guys who are able to bomb it from three. Will Sosi, 45.5% three-point shooter with eight points per game. And then Daniel Ortiz, 15 points, steal per game, shoots 41.5% from three. And North Alabama, to their credit, they only turn the ball over about 11.2 times per contest. Southern Utah, they're going to lose that battle as they turn the ball over right around 13 times per game. But I do think that this is a number that has just went a little bit too far in this circumstance in terms of the total, especially with North Alabama being held to 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. You've got a Southern Utah team that certainly has been leaving something to be desired with their defense, giving up at least 71 points in each out of their last five games. But I do think that Southern Utah did play at a different level of competition out there in the WAC as well. I do think that Southern Utah is going to do a good job of holding down a North Alabama team that's been one of the worst teams in this field in rebounding. So I did set Southern Utah as a 12-point favorite as they think that they win and cover from within. So taking Southern Utah in this spot, semi total 160. It's also diving under 833, 834 on the betting board. Southern Indiana is going to be playing in San Jose State out there in Florida as you've got San Jose State an 8.5 to a 9-point favorite in your total on scheme. It is between 144.5 and 145.5. This is one where I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I set my total at a 147.5 now. San Jose State, a bottom 35 team in terms of total possessions per game, and they played better defense towards back half of the campaign, but this is still a San Jose State team that not great on defense, 217th of the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 13.4 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home, and Southern Indiana certainly leaves quite a bit of something to be desired on defense as well. 263rd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 9.5 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home, and Southern Indiana is able to bomb it for three. They shoot 37.5% from three-point range. Isaac Swope, 15.5 points, 3.5 assists, seal and half per contest, shoots 42% from three-point range. Jelani Simmons, seal and half, 13.5 points, shoots 37.5% from three, and Trevor Lakes, 5.5 boards, 13 points. He's able to shoot 41% from three-point range. Where this gets really interesting is which team is going to be able to win the battle on the boards, because you've got Jacob Polakovich, who has been able to supply Southern Indiana with 12.4 points and 13 rebounds per game. Going into Friday, the only player that was averaging more rebounds per game in all of college basketball is Oscar Sheboy. But as we know, this is also a Southern Indiana team that they very much rely upon three-point shots. And San Jose State, they're a team that they rely upon Omari Moore being able to create things from the outside. And Moore has been able to give you more. He's able to give you 17.5 points, 4.6 rebounds, 4.8 assists. Shoots right around 33% from three-point range. But I think that this total goes over because neither of these teams are necessarily Supreme teams at being able to cut off the three-pointer. Away from home, San Jose State is allowing opponents to shoot 37.1% from three-point range. Southern Indiana away from home, they allow opponents to shoot 36% from three-point range. Both teams are outside the top 225 with that regard. And for San Jose State, I do think that their collective of big men are going to be able to do a good job down low. As you've got Abrima Diallo, Robert Fiola, along Sage Tolbert. These three guys have been able to combine for 20 and a half rebounds per game. Tolbert, a little bit more of a versatile guy. Eight points, she's 34% from three-point range. Yellow, 1.7 blocks, six and a half points per game. Viola, seven and a half points per game. Tibet Cronair has been able to give you some nice versatility. Six and a half points. He's able to shoot about 33% from three. It's a nice six foot eight, little bit of a combo player as well. I do think that San Jose State has the upper hand as they don't have the best rebounder in this game, but they've got the best collective of rebounders in this game. I do think that San Jose State is going to be able to pump it up against a Southern Indiana bunch that they come in haven't given up at least 80 points so far in their last five games. So, did set my total at a 147.5 going over set 
San Jose State as a nine and a half point favorite. So we'll want to lay up to eight and a half slash nine with them. And we are things up with 845, 846 on the betting board. Charlotte is going to be playing against Western Carolina out there in Florida. Charlotte is a favorite of six points, and your total on this game is 137. Set my total at 133.5. I'm going to be one to dive under. Charlotte is in the bottom five nationally in terms of total possessions per game, and I do recognize that they might be willing to crank things up a little bit more here for the CBI, but this is not a Charlotte team that's going to be playing with a lot of possessions, and I don't think that they're going to be breaking away from what they've done all season long too much. And I do think that Charlotte is going to have success down low with Ali Khalifa, being able to give you 12.6 boards per contest. But this is a Charlotte team that they do rely upon being able to can some threes as they shoot as a collective 37.6% from three-point range. Western Carolina, though, has actually been a top 100 team in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage away from them, allowing opponents to shoot 32.6% from three-point range. So that is going to be a bother for Bryce Williams, who's able to give you 13 points, five rebounds per game. And I do think that the size that you've got with a lot of these Western Carolina guards is really going to be able to affect things as you've got someone in Vontravius Wolbright. He's a six foot six, do it all sort of player. As he's been able to supply you with 15 points, seven and a half boards, 5.2 assists per game. Not a guy that's going to go out there and light it up from three point range by any stretch of the imagination, but you do also have Tyshawn Claude, who's going to be able to help win the battle down low. Eight and a half rebounds, 15 and a half points, right around a block per game, and then I love what you've been able to get out of Trey Jackson all season long as Mr. Jackson has done a nice job with 16 points, four boards, shoots 44% from three. That's big going up against the Charlotte team that's 20th in the country in three-point shooting percentage, and they allow their opponents on defense. They shoot right around 35.5% from three. Charlotte overall has been a halfway decent defense, but they do allow those open looks. You've also been able to have someone like a Russell Jones be able to give you nine points per game for Western Carolina, I will say. Outside of Wolbright and Claude, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of four rebounds per game, and Charlotte they do a nice job of being able to spread the wealth as Lucille Patterson gives you 10 points, three and a half boards, three assists per game. She's 38% from three point range. Montre Gibson has been shooting 47.5% from the outside, seven and a half points per game. You've got relatively good depth on that front, but I do think that Western Carolina has been able to do a better job with their defense as they enter having given up 72 points or fewer in each other last five games in regulation because the game against Furman went to overtime. You've got a Charlotte team that they themselves have been able to do a better job with their offense, scoring at least 70 points in three other last four games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a slowdown game. Western Carolina, not necessarily an up-tempo team. They're not necessarily a slow team either. They're very mid-tempo with that regard. And I don't think that Charlotte is going to be breaking stride, but I do think that Western Carolina is going to be able to do their part down low to be able to hold in this game, set my line at 5.5. So six or more, going to be willing to take the points with Western Carolina, made by total 133.5. So also diving under, and that will wrap things up for the Saturday edition of Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Vison Family Podcast. A big thanks to Blake Volvo, who does amazing work over at Southeastern 14 for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNNR41. Keep in mind, letters EM. Amy does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way, that's fine. An Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like here on this podcast via the five star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.